All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to MMA Island. I'm Zach Harkness, and today I'm joined by the number eight welterweight contender in the world, Michael the Maverick Chiesa. Thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. It's uh, good to finally make this happen. Second time around. Second's the best. Yes, second is the best, and I think it will prove that later on. So first question, I want to start off by talking about your most recent fight with uh, Rafael Dos Anjos and Raleigh back in January. Now, yeah. at the time, he was ranked in the top five, and you didn't have a number next to your name, and, but people soon found out why the fight was booked. Leading up to the fight, mm-hmm. did you feel like you weren't being given a chance by the general public, and if so, did that motivate you to go on and put on the performance that you did? Um, well, I just kind of always feel like I'm an underdog in a lot of my fights. Um, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's definitely going to be matchups that are more favorable for me, but I feel like when it comes to the higher-profile fights – you know, like the Benil Darius, the that fight, the Ally Quinta fight, the RDA fight. You know, I'm the big fights I always get counted out of. So, um, you know, I, I kind of always have that chip on my shoulder. And the fight actually got booked because, you know, Hopel Desanyas, former former lightweight champ, challenged for the interim title. He's fought a who's who, uh, the, you know, everybody the UFC's put in front of him. And uh, he actually, they gave him the choice of opponents and he chose me. And, and, for, for me, you know, my, when I found out about that, my initial reaction was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm being, you know, he thinks I'm an easy fight, da, 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 and, you know, just because the way I look at it, like, I'm not really a guy that goes out picking my fights. Um, my manager kind of does it for me. He calls me, he's like, this is the guy, uh, whatever. So I definitely had a little chip on my shoulder going into that fight. But, uh, you know, he came and talked to me afterwards and was like, that wasn't why I chose to fight you. You know, you're just on the rise. And, I figured it'd be good to beat a prospect and we hashed that out and whatever. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely the biggest win in my career got to be back in the rankings of 170. Um, yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm in, I'm in the best place I could possibly be to make a run at the title in terms of like my maturity, my growth in the sport. You know, I haven't taken too much damage. Um, you know, I feel like I'm really poised to make a run. Did you feel like you were being given like a great opportunity? Because there's not many times, I can't even think of another one where a top five guy fights someone who's not even ranked in the top 15. Were you surprised to get fast tracked to the top of the division so quickly? Um, not really. You know, I, you know, I made a lot of big waves at lightweight. You know what I mean? Uh, I won the longest running season of the ultimate fighter, arguably the deepest talent pool on that show. Um, you know, they've, they've, ha- they've put me in big fights. Uh, you know, they, at one point I was matched up with Tony Ferguson um, in a main event, you know, and, and I've been in main events with Kevin Lee. I'm always on the main card of a pay-per-view. I always show up. I always make it a fun fight, you know, and uh, I think that the UFC, when, when RDA asked for this fight, I think that they were okay with it given the fact that, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm like the only guy that's changed weight classes that never got a hold of his spot at the weight class before. It was like the day, once I had my first fight at 170, I was like wiped from the rankings. Like, whereas a lot of guys, you know, it's like they, like, I remember going back to RDA. I remember when he switched to welterweight, like he held his lightweight spot for like until he, like for his first two or three fights in at welterweight. So I was thinking maybe they're okay with it because, you know, I never got to have that opportunity to do that. But, um, you know, they know I can fight. I can beat any of these guys in the top 10, any of the guys in the top five. I'm confident in my skills. And I think the UFC recognizes that. And the new contract they gave me was great. Um, it showed me that they have a lot of belief in me and my skills. And, and uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And uh, as we, as you mentioned earlier, Rafael Desonia's former light, uh, lightweight champion, moving up uh, to welterweight. But a lot of the things about him is that he's actually really small for the welterweight division and you were a massive lightweight and someone who's not small for the division at all. So when you were fighting him and especially cause you were feeling like his size and strength when you were grappling with him, did he feel like he was abnormally small for the welterweight division? No, I, there's something about RDA. When you see him on TV, he looks really, he does look small, you know, to the, to when you see him on TV whatever. But I remember specifically when, because I, you know, I walked out first. I was the blue corner. He walked in second. When he got in the in the ring, I literally turned to my corner and said, "Holy shit, he's thick! Like he's got humongous legs. Like this guy is like, is as you get older, it gets harder to cut weight. And yes, he's a former lightweight. And yes, he just did a test cut 
um, you know, during the quarantine and stuff, but to sustain it for him is totally unreasonable. He's not, he, he looks small to the people that see him on TV, but I tell you what, when you're in the octagon with him, that, that guy is thick. He's got big legs. And, and another thing was, I don't, I don't remember what round it was, but I was kind of starting to isolate an arm, trying to get on a Kimura. And uh, when I grabbed his wrist, he has really big bones. He's, a, he's got, like, his wrist bone felt like I was grabbing, like, the top end of a baseball bat, you know. So, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's a small welterweight, you know what I mean? Yeah. Does he feel like he's um, – because, like, in that fight, he fended off a lot of submission attempts, which was really surprising – did he feel like he was like extra strong for a welterweight? Because you know it would be kind of surprising if he was moving up from a division. You know, no, he definitely was strong. I mean, he it, it, that that was a very laboring fight. Um, you know, and, and not only that, not only is he really strong, but I mean, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He has a great deep half guard. Um, you know, he he went for a leg lock and stuff. Like he's very savvy. Uh, he's a well-rounded fighter, but he's definitely strong. Like it's. That's one thing for sure is I would say he's definitely like one of the strongest opponents I've ever faced in terms of like strength, you know, and I, we were prepared for that. Um, you know, I had a good training partner named Joey Parati. Um, he's a, he fights in one FC. He's super tough, you know, and he, he's a little bigger than RDA. So I was able to get, I had a good body to emulate what I was going up against, but I mean, he, he was the champ for a reason. He's tough as shit. Pardon my yeah. language. No, it's all good. You can use that language as much as you want on here. So uh, the way that you won that fight against RDA was, you know, it was through your relentless takedowns and top pressure combined with your height advantage, which was definitely a big deal. Did you know that the ground game and the wrestling is what you had to do to win the fight? And were you and your team aware of RDA's problems with wrestlers, as he showed in the past, um, you know, when you were looking at him in training camp? Well, I mean, to be completely honest with you, plan A for me is always going to be to take guys down and look for the submission. That's just like, even if I'm going against a guy that's, you know, like if I was, if I was to fight Damian Maya, I would challenge him there because that's where my skills lie. You know, that's what, that's what I made a career of is get, you know, taking guys down, getting submissions, using my relentless top pressure. Um, you know, but uh, I think the RDA is definitely one of the best strikers in the division. And that gives me more incentive to go for the takedown. And, and uh, it's not that he really struggles with the wrestling. It's just look at the guys who have out wrestled him. You know what I mean? Like Kamar Usman and Colby Covington, they they'll take down anybody they want. You know what I mean? And I think, I think the Leon Edwards fight, in my opinion, um, I think that was too fast of a turnaround for him. Um, you know, and, and that's not something that he said. That that's just kind of my opinion. I don't. He just there's such thing as is too many fights in a short amount of time. You need your recovery. You need to kind of wean down and build yourself back up and get ready for these fights. So I think the Leon Edwards fight was just you know. It's just too. It was a quick turnaround for him, and uh, you know, either way, I, I, it's it's not that he's just he doesn't struggle with wrestlers. It's like the guys that have out wrestled him are just good wrestlers. Like, and I'm not I'm not trying to like stroke my own ego or anything like that, but um, you know, that's that's just kind of that's kind of my take on it. It's like when he fought at lightweight, who's the only guy that out wrestled him? Could be even Megamedov. It's like yeah. you can't really <laughs> yeah. say you can't really say a guy's like oh, he totally struggles with wrestlers. It's like, well, he struggles with the top-level wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like, he's a good wrestler in his own right. We've seen him use wrestling and ground guys and top pressure in his fights, you know, himself. So, I, I, I don't think that he struggles with wrestling. I just think that, you know, he's struggled against the best wrestlers. I think that's the best way you could say it. Yeah, I, I think that's true because all those guys are just really top level. And when you when you were deciding to take him down, you mentioned that he was a really good striker. Did you feel like when you were striking with him that you were in any danger at all? Like when you know, hold on real quick. Buddy, no. My dog just tried to eat something he shouldn't. My animals interfere with these all the time. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, there's a little piece of weed on the ground. I was like, dude, get out of there. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bad dog dad yeah um, that's question again sorry, sorry no, about I, that. no i i was saying that uh you know you mentioned that rda is one of the better strikers in the division and pro uh, would you say that he's one of the better strikers that you've ever fought and when you were on the feet with him did you feel like you were in any danger um on the feet no i didn't feel in danger um he got me with his best weapon i mean he kicked the shit out of my leg and and uh you know in the fight i didn't really feel it um but i will say the next day I was definitely I, I had a nasty little limp for a few days, uh, but I mean he, he you know he got me with his best weapon. 
Um, but on the beat, I felt comfortable with my range. Um, but just because I felt comfortable with my range, that doesn't mean like I'm just going to strike with him now. Like this is this is his wheelhouse. Um, you know, he's definitely one of the better strikers I fought. Um, but he, you know, I fought Anthony Pettis as well, and that guy's a phenomenal striker. And that was that I didn't feel in danger on the feet with RDA, but when I fought Pettis, like standing in front of him and his weird twitchy little movements and stuff, I would say that that was the most threatened I've ever felt in terms of striking. I know RDA has a win over Pettis, but I still think that Pettis is the best striker I've ever fought. Yeah, just because that dude can do some crazy things with like his spinning kicks and just he's blindingly fast and all that. But you mentioned something interesting that, you know, RDA caught you with what you think is his best weapon, which is the leg kicks. And uh, I know that now leg kicks are all the rage in MMA. Those are like the big things to do because it just flatlines your opponent. It just really, it's, they're really effective. After eating all those leg kicks and seeing how effective that they are, have you thought about implementing more of them into your game? And do you think you're better suited to counter them after you fought such a good leg kicker like RDA? Well, it's funny you say that because I've actually thought about that. And it's not that I want to implement a leg kicking game specifically. It's the calf kicks. So mm -hmm, it's, yeah. Leg kicks are one thing. Calf kicks are a totally different animal. Like you could see a guy, I mean, unless you're fighting Edson Barboza or, you know, uh, Jose Aldo. Those guys are next level type of leg kickers. But I've had guys kick my legs before, and it doesn't. It's not that bad. But when you get kicked in the calf, you know the the. It, I was actually asking my physical therapist about this. Shout out to my boy Dylan Lemery. Um, I was I was asking like, hey, from your standpoint as a physical therapist, like, what makes calf kicks so you know so, they're so lethal? And he was just telling me that there's just the fascia that covers the the your calf muscles. It can be, you know, it can be, uh, how should I say this? It can be um, compromised fairly easy as compared to your quad. Like your quad has like more fascia and there's more muscle, whereas like it's not the same with your calf. So that's why it's, it's you know, it only takes one or two good, well-placed calf kicks. And I don't think it's a power thing. I think it's a timing and I think it's a placement. Um, it only takes a few of them to really change the, the, the direction of a fight. But, yeah, it's something that I've thought about working and, and, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. I spent a lot of time during quarantine working on different techniques before I had my surgery. Um, so I'm ready to, you know, before the year's up, I'm, I'm really looking to fight and show what I've worked on and, uh, you know, make that splash into the top five. So many of those techniques I would assume would be striking related, right? Because, you know, you have a lot of the ground game covered, especially looking at the guys above you. I think you have the jujitsu advantage over almost, if not all of them. So do you think uh, those techniques? Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, specifically working a lot on striking, um, you know, especially not to mention like, you know, during the pandemic, it's like there's a you know, long period of time where nobody was touching anybody. So it was pretty easy for me you know, to, to work on some striking techniques. And, uh, you know, I was able to get in the boxing gym and, and uh, get some privates in. I'm not going to name the boxing gym because I don't want to get in trouble or something. But, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was able to, uh, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the boxing gym working my hands and uh, working on some new stuff. I'm really excited, man. I think that uh, at this point in my career, it's, it's about quality over quantity. You know what I mean? Like, I want quality wins, um, you know, and I put a lot into these camps there's rarely a time I go into a fight, you know, uninjured. So, um, you know, I'm really poising myself to make this run. Yeah. Now, um, and the run seems to be coming soon. You kind of laid out how you wanted it to go after your fight with RDA because you kept your call out short and sweet. You said, Colby Covington, I'll see you in July. But uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't seem like uh, that one happened or it even gained that much of Colby's attention. Is that the fight you're interested in? Or are you interested in some of the guys that are calling you out, like people like Jeff Neal and like that? You know, Colby Covington is the number one fight I want in the division. He's ranked, you know, he's ranked super high. Um, I think I match up really well with him. I think he'll bring out the best in me. Um, I want the Gilbert Burns fight, but he's kudos to him. That I, I think the world of Gilbert Burns, I think he's a phenomenal athlete. I think that would be my biggest challenge at 170, and that was another fight that I was kind of starting to lobby for once, mm -hmm. uh, you know, once Colby basically just gave me the cold shoulder. He acts like he doesn't know who I am, but he knows who I am. That's a fact. Um, but, you know, just when I come back and I'm healthy, I'm, I'm, I'll fight anybody. I don't care. I, ideally, I'd like to fight ahead of me. But, you know, the Jeff Neals, the Pons, Bibios, the Neil Magnies, you know, they, they can all get it. I don't care. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to – it, with the with everything that happened with COVID, 
And then you couple the fact that my, I had to have my surgery late. Um, you know, they stopped elective surgeries whenever they, you know, once everything's shut down. So I wasn't able to get in and get this taken care of as soon as I like. So once I'm healed, once I'm cleared, I'm not going to sit around and wait for a matchup. I'm jumping on the first guy I can get. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I uh, I'm not going to waste time trying to get a higher ranked guy. As long as they're ranked, I don't care. I just got to make sure to beat them in a devastating fashion enough to get me to propel in the ranking. So that's my biggest concern. I want to, I, I want a damn title shot. So mm-hmm. I don't care who I got to fight to get there, but I just know, you know, once I'm healed and I'm cleared, I don't care who it is. I don't care who's available. As long as they got a number next to their name, you know, they're going to get it, you know? Yeah. So, but until then it's like, you know, when all these guys are calling me out, it's like, what am I going to say when I know I have to have surgery? Like, cool. Yeah. I'll fight you when I'm healed. Like what? I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what to do. So it's just like, I just kind of let these guys run amok and talk shit. Um, it's whatever, man. I, you know, yeah. Cause I could care less. Yeah. I was talking to Jeff Neal and he said that he tried too many times. I was like, well, he has to have surgery, but the thing with Colby Covington, you know, you know what he does in every single fight. He just tries to like, be the clown, the jester, and just piss off all of his opponents. How are, um, how are you going to prepare to deal with the mental warfare that Colby Covington was going to bring in? It's I'm just not going to – I'm not going to engage in it. You know what I mean? Like, I know what low blows he's going to throw. He's going to rip on me for my losses. He's probably going to say something about my mom. He's going to fucking probably say something about my fiance. He'll go – he's the guy that will go – he'll keep going lower and lower and lower until he can get under a guy's skin. So just I'm going to acknowledge every bad thing he can say to myself and just not even engage. I don't care. I wouldn't even care if we're at a press conference and he's doing it. I'm not even going to engage in it. I don't care. Um, I'm not. That That's one aspect he has that's benefited him, but it's not going to work on me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here to fight. I'm not here to talk. That's why I'm not a big trash talker. You don't see me on Twitter calling people out. You know, I don't really engage in those types of things. You know what I mean? I, I'm very focused on fighting. I'm not focused on calling guys out and making tweets and making waves. I know a lot of guys, you know, in this sport, you got to talk shit. And you got to make waves to get matchups like that. How do you think Gilbert Burns got the Woodley fight? I respect mm-hmm. that, but that's just not me. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm, I'm just a humble, quiet guy. I'll let my manager sort out the matchups. I'll let him, you know, when he calls me and says it's a guy, I'm going to fight. I'm not going to go on twitter raids and campaigns and all this shit you know i'm just that's just not who i am i gotta i have to uphold a certain code of conduct i'm a high school wrestling coach and you know i'm not going to get these twitter spats for the world to see because these kids they're going to see it and mm-hmm. that you know i have to lead i have to lead by example i have to lead by example in life how i conduct myself uh, how i compete how i train i think about all these things it just it, with them in the back of my mind, I think about the kids I'm coaching. I think about the kids I'm trying to guide into becoming good men. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's good to talk shit. I don't think it's good to be on Twitter, you know, throwing jabs at people, just that type of stuff. Uh, you know, that's just that's just the way I look at it. So, you know, all these guys, it's it's just funny when these guys are like he's scared to fight me. It's like I'm. Do you think at this point in my career, I'm really scared to fight anybody? Yeah. Have you ever been? Have you ever been on the Ultimate Fighter? Have you ever been trapped in a house with sixteen guys and had to work your way through a tournament? You can't do that as somebody that gets scared of people. You know what I mean? I've fought wicked strikers. I've fought knockout artists. I've fought submission artists. I've fought a laundry list of guys. There's not a single guy in the welterweight division or in the world for that that walks on God's green earth on two feet that's gonna fucking shake fear into me. So you know these guys will figure it out sooner or later. And, all this trash talking is just going to make him look like an asshole and I beat him up. So it's whatever. Yeah. And the thing I was going to ask, and you kind of brought it up was Colby Covington, you know, he never used to be that guy. Like in the start of his career, he was kind of quiet. He was humble, but then he realized that he wasn't getting enough recognition for his own sake. And then, so that's when he changed his personality to become, you know, the villain, the bad guy. So he could get people. Cause I guess in his mind, all uh, publicity is good publicity. What are your thoughts yeah. on like, like changing yourself to um, get more recognition and get a higher stake in the company? I, I, I guess is how he would look at I it. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say gave him higher stake in the company. I don't think when Colby Covington's time's done, they're going to write him off and be done. They're going to be out of the Colby Covington business. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, he hasn't really, his trash talk isn't that great. You know what I mean? Like look at Conor McGregor. 
that guy has got a sharp tongue. He's quick-witted. When he talks shit, it's fluid and it's natural. Where it's like mm -hmm. Colby, it's all labored. Like this, so he premeditates these things, and he, you know, his his grammar is not the best. He doesn't. The delivery sucks, and you know. But if he feels that's what he had to do to get a title shot, like, do you really think he would have needed that? Because look at his winning. Look at the win streak he was on. He could have not said anything and just won his fights and spoke through his fighting you know, made, made his claim by winning instead of trying to, you know, throw the low jabs at, at people and, and, uh, and do that type of stuff. I don't really think, you know, I don't really think highly of it. I, I, I uh, you know, I tried to get myself engaged into that type of stuff, like with the Kevin Lee fight and, uh, you know, a little bit with the Pettis fight, I started getting a little bit chippy in the media and stuff and it didn't work out for me. I lost two fights in a row only time in my career and from that from that time ever since I lost to Pettis it's like I'm never going to try to change myself ever again it's just not it's not for me it's not who I am and it I feel like it works against me so that's why it's like I'm not going to talk shit I'm not going to change who I am um I'm not going to sell myself out but I mean if Colby thinks if if that's if that's what he thinks is what got him a title shot I think that he should uh rethink that he want he got to a title shot by by winning fights yeah and he said that you know he was going to get cut after the maya fight win or loss but on the subject of trash talk i want to go back to ufc 239 in one of the otter matchups you fought diego sanchez on the main card in international fight week now he may not have talked a lot of crap like directly to you but on like his instagram on social media he was saying that he was going to like dominate you and just all this like ridiculous trash talk when at the end of the fight, you know, he got dominated. You you just destroyed him. Mm -hmm. After the fight, did you get a sense that, you know, he regretted all, all the things that he said? I don't know. You know, it, it's tough to say, you know. Um, but this part of the reason, just that alone, that's that's why you don't talk shit. It's because it can really come back to bite you in the ass. Um, but, you know, we, we talked after the fight. He was super cordial and super nice. That's just Diego Sanchez. He's just a different guy. You know what I mean? He, he, he his, he's in a different headspace than the average person. And uh, I think that he was more or less just doing what he's got to do to like pump himself up. And I mean, every fighter is entitled to think that they're going to dominate their opponent. You, you have to think like that in the sport. You know what I mean? Um, some people just tend to put it out in the universe for people to see and read. And, you know, that's, that's their business, but um, you know, where everybody's entitled to that opinion. When you're going to fight somebody, you better be confident that you're going to you're going to dominate them. You know, we we all both guys standing across the octagon from each other thinking the same thing. I'm going to dominate this guy. So it's not abnormal, but um, you know, he definitely said some some uh, some quirky stuff. And Diego Sanchez is kind of one of the prime examples of one of the fighters that people should have said of retired a long time ago because he isn't finding much success these days. And he's been on some of the other hands of like not very pretty fights to watch, you know, what are your thoughts on like fighters are like mm -hmm. extending their careers longer than a lot of people think they should. And why do you think they do that? Well, well, I mean, one thing to take into consideration is yet. Yeah, Diego Sanchez won two fights in a row at a time when people were just riding him off. And granted, they weren't against, like, the highest level of competition, still beating guys in the UFC. And that's kind of what led to us getting matched up. Um, you know, but he's a guy that, you know, maybe he is overstaying his welcome a little bit. Um, I would have liked to see, honestly, I would have liked to see him beat Michelle Pajeda in Rio Rancho and retire. Like, you know, you're at home, you're in Albuquerque. Um or in, you're in New Mexico, you know, but, you know, all the Albuquerque crowd was there. It would have been cool to see him go out that way, but um, who knows what his next move is. I wish him nothing but the best. Um, you know, who knows? He's just a guy that's like we've, we've written him off multiple times and he's bounced back in one fight. So it's, it's really tough to say um, what's next for him. But, uh, you know, I won't be a guy to overstay my welcome. That's a fact. I yeah, think that uh, I think that sometimes guys get lucky and can keep competing on borrowed time. You know what I mean. And as long as they're successful, you know, keep it going. But you know, you don't I, you don't want to overstay your welcome in the sport because you'll when you when you start to do that, you're going to lose things you'll never get back. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So you know, yeah, that's just I, my take on it. I was I was going to mention that like 
when it comes time, like a lot of fighters don't really know, even if they're not having success, they continue on. So for you, it's like, well, you know what? It will be like an age thing or will it be like a not having success thing for you personally? You know, that's, that's tough to say. You know what I mean? Um, and it's funny because Dana White always says the second a fighter thinks about retiring, he should They be should, done. yeah. Like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that because – you get to a point in your career where you got to start being like, okay, you know, like I'm 30 now, how many more years do I got? What's the plan? Start laying out the goals. And you got to know that like, you know, you got to just, it's not that necessarily like, it's not like thinking, I, I don't think about retiring. It's not like, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should retire my next fight. It's nothing like that, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm planning my exit. You know what I mean? Like I'm setting myself up, you know, like I'm doing things financially and making choices in my life that that are all geared towards when the time comes I hang them up and I think that a lot of guys when a lot of guys overstay their welcome is when they haven't planned accordingly when they haven't like they haven't thought about what they're going to do next they don't have an idea of what they can do they're not you know maybe financially they, they haven't made the best choices who knows but I'm just not going to be one of those guys to where when the time comes I want to do it I, there will be no reason for me to to try to to, to try to stay in it you know what I mean um I'm when my time comes to I'm not going when, when when my time ends ends it's ending in the UFC I will never fight anywhere else it's like I I've been I would rather retire from the pinnacle of a sport I'd rather retire fighting the best guys in the world and the best organization in the world than retire you see that every guy's yeah. you know <laughs> I want so many guys retire and then we find them in the you know on the main card on Fight Island Alexander Gustafson <laughs> yeah but. <laughs> But, uh, you know, when I say I'm done, I'll be done. I'm not going to be a guy that comes bouncing back. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to play that game. Not, I'm not going to do that to my family and my friends. Um, but, you know, I'm 32. You know, I feel like I'm in my prime. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of guys. talked to Mike Pyle about this. I talked to Trevor Prangley about this. And they all said they felt their best at, like, 35 or 36. So, it's like, you know, that's, the, that, that's where I want to get to. I want to get to what it, when they say they felt their best and they describe it to me, I'm like, man, I, I can't wait to feel that. You know what I mean? But what comes right after that is that immediate decline. You yeah. know, who knows where I'll be physically. Father time undefeated. Yeah, your father time's undefeated. So who knows where I'll be physically? Who knows where I'll be in terms of, like, will I be a champion then? Like, who knows? There's a lot of variables. But I'm, I'm planning for my future, but I'm very, very much focused on the now. Like, I need to get in there. I need to win some more fights. Yeah. And it seems, okay. So it seems like you have everything planned out pretty well going on. And I'm sure one of those plans involves fighting for the belt. Now, you know yeah. yourself and like how long it takes between uh, in between fights for you and how long you're going to lay off from your surgery. So timetable down the road, when do you think that you're eventually going to get that title shot? I think by the end of next year, I mean, what sucks is I really, I really believed until things just took a turn for the worst around the world. Um, I truly think that I thought by the end of this year, I would be, you know, I would be number one contender. I felt like I would get a fight in July, win a fight in July, get myself poised for a, a, you know, a number one contender match at the end of the, at the end of the year. Um, you know, I signed a new contract before the RDA fight and there is title language in there. You know, it's already set like, Hey, when you fight for the belt, this is what you're going to make this and this. So it's like, they, they, the UFC is, I don't, I don't feel like they're grooming me for this. Cause you know, they don't really groom anybody It you know, especially somebody that's been in the, in the promotion for this long, but they, to me, it shows they believe in me. You know what I mean? They believe I can be a champion. You know, if they're, if they're giving me, I never had that contract when I was at lightweight, I never had a contract with title language. This is the first one I have. It's like, you're going to make this amount of money when you win the title. You know, I got a huge pay in, increase after the RDA fight. Um, you know, so I think that I get in there before the end of the year, probably around November, December. Um, you know, my surgery was supposed to be like half an hour and it turned out to be over five hours and I don't really want to get into it, but you know, there's definitely some recovery time ahead of me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think by the end of next year, I, I maybe, maybe by summer I'm, I'm number one contender, but you know, what's most important for me now is just to recover, get healthy and uh, get out there and beat these guys, man. I feel like I have the, the formula for my training. My coach, is, my coach is moving training partners here for me. Um, you know, we got, and I don't want to name them because they're kind of like, I got a guy, I, I got a guy that left a big camp um, that trains with the, one of the sports superstars. I'm not going to name him, but he let he, this guy might be leaving his camp to to come live here to be, you know, to 
so we can help each other. Um, so we're, we're making all the right moves. You know what I mean? And this was part of the move. Having surgery was like, get this thing fixed. This thing is, you know, it, it's been a hindrance. It's only getting worse. So it's time to do myself a favor. It's just, it sucks that this could have been done in April and it got postponed this long. So I'm just focused on getting healthy. And uh, by the time I'm healthy, I'll have all the, pe- the, the, pe- the, the pieces in place. Sorry. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I will have all the pieces in place to just get after it, start camp, and get, get out there and get another win. So when you saw that contract delivered to you and you'd never really seen language that says, I'm going to fight for the title, and you didn't think that the promotion would expect you to before, just seeing that on paper kind of add a little bit of extra pressure to perform because, I mean, I think it would have to. You know, you're seeing on paper that they expect you to fight for the belt. Do you have pressure to live up to the promotion's expectations? Um, no, there's no pressure put on me. It's more than the pressure I put on myself. I put, I put more pressure on myself than anybody possibly could. Um, so I don't feel they're pressuring me in any way though. I will say though, the RDA fight that, you know, speaking on pressure, that was a very stressful situation because I knew like, if I win, I'm going to get this, uh, uh, significantly large pay increase and I get this contract with the title language. You know what I mean? So it was, and then I, on top of the fact I'm going into the fight with a broken nose, um, you know, I hardly got to do any sparring that camp. I really, I think I only sparred like twice, um, you know, so it, it was a, it was a very stressful situation, but that's all, that's all stress and pressure that I put on myself. It, it was more or less when I, when I got the contract, it was like more of like a relief. Like, it's not like I felt like, Oh, I made it. I'm here. But it was like, Holy shit. Like, then now this is, I've always had the vision. I've always manifested me having the title, but that was just one of those things that like made it a little more real that I'm going to get there. You know, I'm going to get there. And I see guys like, I don't know, you know, the guys, guys that I fought are having great success. You know, Jorge Masvidal, he's, he just fought for the welterweight title. And had he had a full camp, who knows how he would have performed. It could have been a totally different fight. So, and that's a guy that granted I lost, I competed with him very well until, until he got me with that one single second left in the freaking second round. Um, but, you know, it's just like it's becoming more real. So, you know, it's just mo- – but it's most important that to make sure each camp I go into, each I got to make sure that all the pieces are in place because the higher you get up in the rankings, the, the, the margin for error is very, very small. From a technical standpoint, from a training standpoint, it, it becomes a game of inches, you know. So I got to make sure that, you know – I, I got everything airtight and ready to go. And, uh, you know, when that time comes, I'll be ready for it. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to the Diego Sanchez fight. And I was wondering if you heard about this, but, I mean, I kind of have to ask. It came up that Joshua Fabia, Diego's coach, went to the commission before the fight and told them about a choke that Diego would do that would be so dangerous that it could kill you. But when the details came out, this death choke turned out to be very similar to a stone cold stunner like Steve Austin in WWE. Did you hear about this? And what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Uh, so after the fight, I heard about it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we kind of, we laughed it off. We're just like, you know, it's uh, to the technique that he wanted to implement on me. You got to be like a Gordon Ryan. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's not a single guy on earth except probably him. Um, they could really get me into that type of position to do the move. And it wasn't like it was just a stone cold stunner. Um, I wish I had somebody here I could show you with, but uh, <laughs> it was more like if I had a guillotine right here, like if your head was right here and I'm holding your chin, like rolling over to where the back of your neck is on my shoulder and then like pulling down, you know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. can kind of envision that. I can. So, uh <laughs> But yeah, like when we heard about it, we just laughed. You know what I mean? Like we we were very we. That was probably the best shape I've ever been in my life. Was the Diego Sanchez fight? You know, because even when you're fighting a guy that people are like, you know, across the board, everyone thinks I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna piss pound him. Um, you know, I was like, I think I was over, like I was like a three and a half. I think I was like a minus three fifty favorite. Mm-hmm. And when I see things like that, I don't want to get a false sense of security. So I found myself watching. I don't. I didn't. I didn't watch any recent film on Diego Sanchez. I went back and watched the old fights, and I made. I made sure that I felt very threatened for the guy that you know that can't be finished. And you know, one of his greatest attributes as a fighter is the guy can come back to life in an instant. Like he'll go from being like dead in the water to like all of a sudden he'll bounce back. So 
a big part of the camp was like, you know, he might give you opportunities to go for a catch, but he's pretty resilient. And I feel like that's where he thrives is like, maybe he'll stick his neck out there to get you to go for a choke, get you to burn out and then start to come on. And it's like, with all that being said, I, I forget who asked me the other day. Somebody asked me like at all my, in my whole career, like what's like the one fight that I wish I could do over again. Like, and I told him, I was like, I, I wish I could redo the Diego Sanchez fight because I, I, I respect it. I, the way I mentally prepared myself, I almost gave him too much respect and took away, you know, it's like my skills weren't good enough. Like I had, I had him a couple of times I, I had his back and I could have choked him and I let go. You know what I mean? And in the second round, I, I was, you know, laying, landing some good punches. Refs starting to say, you know, Diego fight back, fight back. And I, I let off the gas. And that when I let off the gas that one time he bounced back to his feet, you know? So, I don't know. I just looked. I, that's one fight I wish I could do over because I feel like I could have got the submission, and that would have been a big feather in my cap to be the only guy to ever submit Diego Sanchez in a fight. Um, so that one kind of, you know, even over any of the losses, that's the fight that kind of, you know, bugs me the most. So you mentioned someone interesting and someone that I was planning to bring up later on, but I think it's relevant now. You mentioned Gordon Ryan, who is who's right now probably the best grappler on planet Earth, and he's making a case for being the greatest Nogi grappler of all time. And he's someone who you've trained with before. So I want to know, as someone who's yeah. rolled with him, what is it like to roll with Gordon Ryan? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> man. Well, for one, he's an awesome guy, man. I mean, you see the way he portrays himself on social media, and you would think that he's a dick. And he, mm -hmm. he's, like, furthest from that. You know, he was super nice, super respectful. And going into it, when somebody is a great in a sport, they have nothing to prove. You know what I mean? Like G Gordon, I, I felt zero threat going to roll with him. You think a lot of guys are like, Oh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to risk rolling with him before a fight. It's like, no, that's the guy that's probably the best training partner in the room because he's a guy that's so good. He's going to play to your speed to do what's best for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he had his way with me, <laughs> you know, but it's not like, it's not like I'm going to kick myself about it. You know, he's, he's, he's a phenomenal grappler. Uh, you know, he, he's on track to becoming the best no-gi grappler of our time. He has, he has great credentials. Um, I think a super fight with, with Andre Galbao at ADCC, I think that could, I I think that that could seal the deal. I need that we to do. happen. And for him, I think, and I think that would be, I mean, I think that would be the, the, you know, that would, that would really stake his claim as the best no-gi grappler. But, you know, that experience getting to roll with him and getting to pick his brain, it was, it was awesome. And I got to, I got to train with him pretty much the whole weekend. And it, it was so much fun, man. And that, that was actually – I I rolled with him, like, that weekend that I trained with him. I think I, I had broke my nose, like, like – I think it was, like, three days prior to that. But I was like, dude, I can't, like – I can't miss this opportunity. Like, it's like – this is like I – could, I could train with one of the best for a weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take that chance. And he was actually, like – he knew about my nose and he worked around it. Never at any point did – we even went for takedowns on the second day we trained and that guy is so controlled. Like my nose never got touched once, but like any other guy I rolled with that weekend is like, Oh God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> my nose is like a magnet. Like everybody keeps hitting this thing, but like, dude, the guy is so controlled. He's so good. Um, and it gave me a lot of confidence. Like, even though I got like, you know, it's not, I didn't really mount a lick of offense except maybe a few takedowns, but you know, it gave me confidence. Like I just trained with the best guy. You know what I mean? And that, that type of, like, experience is something you can draw a lot of confidence from, even if I got submitted with one hand <laughs> multiple times. He's got that nice, like, wrist trap, short choke. He's really good at that. But I got a lot of confidence from training with him that weekend. Yeah, I was, I was about to ask that because, I mean, someone who comes from a very, like, solid jiu-jitsu base like yourself and fighting a lot of people who probably won't have a jiu-jitsu advantage on you – and you're training with probably the greatest grappler on the planet, at least right now, does that give you like a lot of confidence that no one's jujitsu that you can fight will be more, uh, will be better than anything you haven't seen already because of your training experience with Gordon Ryan? Oh, dude, hundred percent. And, and the good thing about it too, is I feel like I forged enough of a, you know, like, a, I feel like we made, we forged a, a relationship to where I could see myself going to train with him down the road. Um, you know, but he's a busy guy and, uh, you know, but he's, he's definitely a true martial artist. Like he's a guy that, you know, he loves to roll. He loves to train and he, he, dude, he has a wealth of knowledge to pass down for how young he is. 
it's it's unreal how technical he is. Um, but yeah, I, I I draw a lot of confidence from that. Um, and that's a you know, like I said, I you know I, I've always had good ties with like the Matt Sarah camp. Um, I've always had good ties with Henzo, and now I got you know made this made this relationship with Gordon Ryan. We talk every so often or whatever, but uh, you know I could definitely see myself training with him again down the road. So, um, and I guess you just keep on a sharp, keep sharpening your jujitsu tools, like keep getting better and better. So are there any other grapplers out there that you would like to roll with that you think would improve your own skill set the most? Um, I, I really think if working with Brawley or Estima would help me, um, because he's got more of my build, long skinny legs. Um, you know, I, I think that that would be good. Uh, I have a phenomenal jiu-jitsu coach here at home. You know, um, James Weed, newborn Cascal jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's – it was – I didn't – I never trained gi jiu-jitsu ever. I've always – I was always a grappler, um, always trained MMA. And I actually used to be, like, very much against it. gi. I hated it. I would, like – I would talk crap to all my training partners. And did it like, oh, yeah, you're out training in a row. That won't help you in a fight. You know, like – and then when I got submitted by Anthony Pettis, who's um, – black belt and trains in the gi all the time i was like all right humble pie this is how this tastes all right uh so then i started training in the gi and it's been about two years that, that i've been with things weed and it's been awesome i mean it, it it my my mma coach rick little is phenomenal yeah he's he's been i've been with him my whole career i wouldn't be where i'm at without him he's been you know he's been by my side through this whole journey and he's he's the reason why i'm here but having James to supplement my game has been huge. You know what I mean? And, and I think he's been a big part of, you know, the, the three fight winning streak I'm on because like I said, once I lost to Pettis, I put the knee on, I started training with him and I started to really clean up a lot of, you know, I, I think I relied a little too much on scrambling and making things messy. Um, and that can work for, for a long time, but at some point I got to be more solid. I got to learn how to control guys better and work on my passing, my top position, things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like, like I said, the pieces are in place, man. The pieces are in place for me to make a run. I got the right. I've always had the best, the best, one of the best MMA coaches in the sport. I think that over time, you know, Rick could be a guy getting a, you know, Coach of the Year award. Um, he, he's amazing. But now that I've, you know, I've, I've implemented, uh, you know, James Weed in, in training at Cascade Jiu-Jitsu, um, reconnecting with my boxing coach, Chauncey Wellover, things like that I'm in getting new training partners out here. Um, you know, I'm poised to make a run, man. So it's going to be good. Yeah. And I think we're all excited to see it. And your run is coming obviously in the welterweight division, which you weren't in before uh, you're in your move up to welterweight. You took on a uh, former title challenger, Carlos Condit and submitted him in the second round. What was the moment that made you realize that you needed to move up a weight class? And what were the biggest differences you noticed in the cage and during the cut, fighting at 155 and 170? Well, it's, it was actually when I was training for Pettis, the second camp, because I did two camps um, for Anthony just because my fight got canceled with him um, in Brooklyn. So they rescheduled it, and I had to do another camp. Um, I... Uh, it was like, I think like the second or third week into camp, I was at the UFC PI. That's where I did my training camp. And uh, I remember I was walking on the turf. There's like a, there's like the way side and there's turf on the other side of this wall. And I was just walking, getting warmed up with, uh, with Bo Sandoval, the strength coach out there. And, you know, he's like, how's your weight? I'm like, yeah, it's all right. You know what I mean? It was, it was, my weight was good, but it's like, Still, to get to get into the good range, being walking around at like, you know, one seventy five, one eighty, you know, it's it, what I know I have to cut. It's not the best, and uh, it's a nine day difference now. I'll tell you that. But I just remember telling Bo, I was like, man, win, loser, draw. I'm done at this weight class. Like I, I like ideally in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna beat Anthony, and then I will, you know, hey guys, I know I'm, you know, ranked, and I just won but I'm moving to welterweight. I'm done here. You know what I mean? It's just, it just started to take away from my camps became so much more about the weight cut than they did about actually getting better as a fighter. And I was not, I'm not good enough yet to do that. You know what I mean? I'm not like a guy like Khabib. He can focus on just cutting weight and stuff because he's like, he's trained his whole life. He's, he's been in this his, his whole life. He's talented. I, I didn't really have a lot of talent. I just have a good work ethic. And I just got tired of spending my whole camps cutting weight. I got tired of going into fight week and 
literally like going to the brink of death. I felt like it just wasn't worth it anymore. And, and I definitely like going into that condit fight was definitely like, you know, two fight losing streak, new weight class. I'm fighting a guy that I've looked up to my whole life. I have his old sinister walkout shirts. Yeah, I was, it was very stressful. You know what I mean? But getting that win was big for me. It, it was like, you know, the, that fight, I was already thinking like, if I lose this fight, that's three losses in a row. Like I'm only 30, 31 years old. Does this mean like my time's coming sooner than I thought? You know, it, it, there's a lot of things going through my mind. And, uh, but I won the fight. Now I'm here. Yeah. And so when you were in the cage as a lightweight and as a welterweight, did you notice like any discernible differences? Like, did you have more cardio? Do you feel like you could take a shot a lot better? Anything like that? Um, I definitely feel like I could take a better punch. Um, these last three fights, uh, you know, I was, I, that was one of my concerns about going up to 170 is like, there's going to be bigger punchers. Um, you know, but you know, I didn't, I didn't really take into consideration the fact like, well, I'll be, I won't be depleted. You know what I mean? I'll be, I'll be bigger. I'll be healthier. Um, you know, but I, I have noticed in training getting to be more healthy throughout my camps. I could take a shot better. Um, you know, and it just like when you when you when you have that big weight cut, one of the last things to rehydrate is actually your brain. So you like you're it's just like I just remember all the time going out there and, and really not being able to think too much. And it's not like you want to be thinking during a fight, but you got to be your mind and your body got to be in sync. And I really felt like my mind was never especially those last few fights. Um I just, my mind was, was not where it should be. You know, it's just like, I, I wasn't able to make decisions on the fly. It was more like, I'm just going to push the gas pedal to the ground and hope for the best. And when the tank runs out, I'm probably gonna be screwed. You know what I mean? So it's now I can fight like a lot. Like I feel like I can be a little more cerebral when I'm competing. I can make more game time decisions. I can see things coming better instead of having to just kind of like punches come at me and I just kind of be like oh I just kind of like wince up whereas now I'm like oh I can move I know how to circle I, I can see things better you know um it's been good I will say you know when before I bef when I was going through fight week for the first Anthony Pettis fight I was on track to have one of the best weight cuts I've ever had in my life like I was like six I was maybe like six pounds over the night before weigh-ins I've never been that low like I'm always like I would always be like you know, between 11 and 14 pounds overweight. And I was like, I was, that was, that, that probably would have been one of my best weight cuts. And maybe if I, if I was able to go through with that fight, maybe I wouldn't be having this conversation. Maybe I'd still be a lightweight, but either way, I'm just glad to be where I'm at, man. It's, it feels good to like, you got to think about this. When you're a striker, you're more focused on being fast, being precise, speed is the key you know what I mean and I and I feel like if I was primarily a striker I feel like I, I could have made that cut easier by not lifting weights like not lifting weights as much but for me it's like I'm a grappler I my 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 game plan involves a lot of wrestling it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of strength I need to lift weights I need to lift weights I need to get strong I need to like I need to get bigger I need to to, to those are the things that are going to make my grappling in my best parts of my fight game it's going to make them stronger so it really made no sense like I'm, I'm i'm being counterproductive here i'm lifting weights trying to get stronger but i'm you know turning around and depleting myself right. just made no sense so it just feels good now like i can i can replenish myself if i'm super sore i can eat an extra meal i can go lift weights i can push myself i i, I feel like i'm i'm like i feel like i'm a better athlete that's like the best way to say it. Like going up to 170 is like I've, I can focus on being stronger. I can focus on – I can slang heavy weights. I can eat that extra meal. I can really focus on taking care of my body more. Um, it's, it was the best decision I've ever made in my career. And it's a prestigious title. I mean, mm -hmm. the welterweight belt has seen some, um, some great champions. You know what I mean? And I, I really truly believe that I can join that echelon of people that have held the title before me, the Matt Hughes's, the GSP's, mm -hmm. Kamaru Usman's, the, the, the Tyron Woodley's, um, you know, I, I want to join that echelon of guys that have held the title in this prestigious weight, prestigious weight class. Yeah. And obviously the most important step into a new division is the first one. So, uh, I mean, outside of Carlos Condit, uh, because that's obviously the fight that you took, uh, did they offer you any other names when you were moving up to 170? 
nope, that was the guy they offered me. And, you know, that's, it was, uh, it was an honor to fight him and compete against him as a, as a fighter. You always want to like, you kind of want to get in there with the guys you look up to. It's kind of a weird thing. You know what I mean? Um, I think, I think that's how all athletes are. It's like when Kobe got in the league, you know, he wanted to play against Michael Jordan, you know, when, when, you know, it's like when you grow up watching guys and idolizing them, like the, at some point you want to compete against them, you know, and I've had, so the way I look at it now is like, I've had a couple legacy fights um, with guys like Carlos and Diego, but you know, I'm ready to move on to the guys that are in my generation um, and, and get closer to winning the title. Yeah. And Carlos Condit, he's been known, he was known at least in his prime to be that guy who just never quit that guy who would just like beautiful striking, all of that stuff. Did you expect that kind of fight out of him? And do you think that, I don't know, I wouldn't say you were disappointed, but did you get the fight out of him that you thought that you would have? There's nothing to be disappointed that fight. I submitted him with a one arm, well, one handed Kamara. I mean, there's nothing to be disappointed there. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, do if somebody was to say like, I wish I would have got the old Carlos Condit. I truly did not want the old Carlos Condit. I did not want to get spinning elbowed and get my <laughs> nose put on. The, I I was thinking of the worst things that could possibly happen to me. Like in the back, I was warming up. Like, dude, I kept thinking like, remember what he did to Tiago Alves? And like, I'm thinking of all the shitty things. Like all the, what if I get caught that left hook that he caught Dan Hardy with? I like. Look, I'm all about getting the best guy on, on fight night, but Carlos Condit, the best Carlos Condit is one of the most dangerous guys in all of mixed martial arts. I mean, his, his striking acumen, and he's devastating. He's a finisher. Flying, spinning elbows, super technical. Like, I wanted to go have my fight, and I feel like, you know, I did – oh, I lost you. Sorry. It's all good. Um, you know, and I had heard that he had a – like, you know, I, I spent some time training with Mike Valley and some of his guys. and He's like, dude, I'm hearing some rumors out of the Jackson camp that, like, Carlos Condit is back 100%. Like, he had some, like, personal life things he had to get sorted out that probably were holding him back through his last few fights. Like, he was in a good headspace. He was, you know, knocking guys out in training and stuff. And so I was definitely worrisome. You know what I mean? But um, I, I was just on that night. Yeah. So um, I have to ask about the controversy that took place in your fight with Kevin Lee and the bad call that Yamasaki made that led to the events that got him kicked out of the UFC, you know? And how tight was that choke that you were in? And do you think that you could have survived till the end of the round as there are only 23 seconds left and, you know, everyone uh, thought that it was a terrible call. Dana White, literally everyone thought it was a terrible call. Yeah, it was awful. Um, I mean, go back and look at the Joe Benavidez fight. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, you just got to bite down and just kind of, you know, grit your way out of it. And, uh, you know, I truly believe I would have got out and I think I would have won the fight. You know, he was, he, they like, when the fight got over, he could barely like stand on his two feet. You know, I dropped him with the left hand. He, Kevin's strong as shit. You know what I mean? But the key to beating Kevin is you got to get out of the first round. And, uh, you know, it's just like the inconsistencies just, it's, it's, you can't have that in the sport when you got, you know, Justine Kish, who's awesome. I'm not saying this out of any disrespect to her, but she literally got choked till she crapped her pants. And they didn't stop the fight. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I'm, I'm a grappler. I know what I'm doing. I was, if you would have reached out and grabbed my hand, like you're supposed to give like, like a check. You grab the hand, see if they're, you know, you pick it up, they drop. Like I would have been, I would have slotted his hand away. You know what I mean? So the choke was tight, but I truly believe I would have gotten out of it. Um, you know, lucky for Kevin. Good old Kev. <laughs> yeah now at that time he wasn't you know kind of he wasn't on the losing streak that he kind of is now i'm not like losing streak, but he has had a couple big losses and let's say you win that fight you get out of that choke and you win the fight like you say you do that does that extra success at lightweight do you think that you still move up to welterweight after the pettis fight if you beat kevin lee well it depends because had i beat kevin which i would have i would have fought tony ferguson mm -hmm. you know what i mean the, you know, I would have fought Tony Ferguson for the interim title. And, uh, you know, that's the fight that was – I felt like Tony and I were on a collision course for sure for a while. Um, but, you know, I, I just – there's so many variables. You know, it, it's, it's tough to say. Um, you know, maybe – that was three years ago, so it depends, you know, if I beat Tony and I win the title and, you know, go on to fight Khabib. Um, who, that's, that's a guy I've, I've always wanted a shot at Khabib. I always feel like – I feel like my grappling, I could give him some problems. And, uh, you know, 
that's just, that's another story for another day. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of variables. But, you know, I the one thing that I know is I would have got to go on and finally fight Tony Ferguson, which would have been awesome. That would have been – you want to talk about a guy – he's so dangerous and he has so many weapons. I feel like he would have brought out the best in me, but didn't happen, but I'm here and I'm in a good place. So I can't complain. Yeah. And man, that Tony Ferguson fight would have been amazing. And you were saying like with the Carlos Conde fight, you're worried about the spinning back elbows and all those strikes. How were, if you were to fight Tony Ferguson, would you be worried about all the crazy, like unorthodox stuff that he throws? No, I mean, I always worry about everybody, you know, when I get into training camp, you know, I start breaking guys, breaking film down and I can be a bit worrisome, but you know, once I get down to competing, I'm, I'm as game as they come man. Um, so once it got down to the actual fight itself, I would have been fine. All right. Now I want to ask about uh, something that you and uh, Tony Ferguson have in common, which would be the ultimate fighter as you guys both won and your time on ultimate Fighter fighter season 15. Uh, when you walked into the set and you saw the other competitors for the first time and, you know, after seeing them early in their training, which one stood out as the ones that you think would give you the most competition? Oh, Ally Quinta, 100%. I mean, Al's a fucking beast. Like, that guy in the training room, like, he was just a monster. I, I mean, Darren Cruikshank was, you know – he was really tough to do stand-up sparring with because he was just like relentless. Like there was one time <laughs> I was actually done with my sparring and he didn't have anybody to go with. And so I was like, all right, I'll go with you. But I, I didn't put my headgear back on. I was like, don't go too crazy. I'm not going to put my headgear on. And I like tripped and fell on the ground. And as I was getting up, I had both my hands on the ground. He flat out kicked me in the face. I was like, all right, you're a dick. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, Al's the guy that if you actually go back, if you, if you were to pick up, if you were to get the ultimate fighter live DVD set and go to like the bonus, the bonus disc, um, it'll show this, this one specific day when I was training with Al where he was kicking my ass so bad on the feet that I turned my back to him and was like, like yelling at the coaches, like, I can't do anything. And, and it was from that day going forward that I was like, I want to train with Al every single round I possibly can because I felt like he was pushing me Al's a phenomenal he, he's a good grappler he's got a phenomenal overall game um he can wrestle he can grapple he can strike he can put it all together and uh you know he's the good he's just he's hungry he's he's just when he shows up to practice he's he's you know he's there to work hard um so from that day going forward I was like I need to train with this guy as much as I possibly can because it's only gonna make me better and he, and he did you know what I mean and ultimately led to us fighting in the finals and win, lose, or draw. Oh, we, we, him and I forged a, a good friendship. And, uh, you know, I think the world of him, I actually, you know, I've gone, when I went to the Philly fights uh, last year, I, I went and visited him and his family, went and said hi. Um, you know, uh, Al, my, me and Al will have a, a, we went through something that, that, that forged just a solid friendship. And, uh, you know, he's the guy that, throughout the process of the ultimate fighter, he made me better. Yeah. And it certainly seems like he did make you better when, and when you saw him and you saw his training, did you know that you would be you and him in the finals? Yeah. It's, it's funny you ask that. Um, it was after, uh, after they announced the quarter, the quarterfinals, which I think was the same day he beat me up in the gym. Um, yeah, I think that was that day. Um, we, we had this conversation back at the tough house to him and I, and uh, we started talking about like, you know, he was saying what he thinks I should do with, uh, with uh, Justin Lawrence. He's like, you know, use your uppercut talking about all this stuff. And then we started talking about, you know, who we think he could get matched up with. And I don't, I don't know how it came up, but we just had this conversation where we're like, dude, let, let's, let's beat everybody. Let's, let's train hard together. Let's work together. And then let's fight in the finals, me and you. Like, we had a conversation about it, you know. So, and granted, that was – that conversation happened, you know, like halfway into the season. So, it's not like we're, like, talking about this a week before, you know. It's something we built ourselves up to. It's like – it's like almost like a little bit of a manifestation thing. Like, we talked about this. Let's win our fights. Let's fight in the finals. And, uh, you know, we, we made it happen. And it was something special. It, the win – the win isn't what's special to me. It's the fact that I got to go in there and compete against him. I'd feel the same way if he beat me. You know what I mean? Um, 
just because, like I said, throughout that whole process, after that conversation, through our training and everything, like we, we forged a good friendship. And if there's anybody I wanted to lose that moment to, that if I had to pick one guy to lose that moment to, it would have been him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, I think that unfortunately that's all the questions I have for today. I, I really want to thank you for taking this time out of the day for uh, coming on the show. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people out there? Um, yeah. Uh, tune in when I bounce back. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to come back a different animal. I'm excited to compete again. Just got to get healthy, get myself recovered. And um, shout out to my grumpy ass manager, Daniel Rubenstein. He's a grump. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a <laughs> – when, when he's like – when do you want to reschedule this this interview or this interview? Because from us today, we're like, we got to reschedule this. I'm yeah. like, all they sent back to him is, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I was just gonna let him pick, and he's just like, you're the hardest fucking person to deal with. Like, started ranting on me. He started spelling you a bunch of stuff wrong, so I was like correcting you with asterisks. And now he's ignoring me. And now he's ignoring me. So shout out to my grumpy ass manager, who's still the best manager in the game, Daniel Rubenstein. Shout out to my fiance, Kelsey Berger. Shout out to my mom, Teresa Chiesa. Shout out to the fans. Check me out on Mike Nav 22. Peace. Again, I would like to thank Michael the Maverick Chiesa for joining me today. And uh, I would like to thank you, the viewer, for watching this interview. I've been Zach Harkness with MMA Island, and I'll see you all in the next one.